I want to read tonight out of Psalms. We, we're going to pick up with James. Uh, many of you familiar, as I said, visitors. This is Wednesday night Bible study. And I usually don't, well, I'm not going to say I usually. I try not to get too excited. Uh, but sometimes I do on Bible study. But I really want tonight to be a night of teaching. And uh, if you got pens and paper, uh, I'm going to ask you to get it out. If you got a phone and you want to do some typing, and, and I'm really going to do this. I'm nervous to do it, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. If I'm going too fast, I want you to raise your hand and say, slow down, Pastor. Yeah, see, yeah, just, just saying, oh, Lord. No, really, if I go too fast, I want you to get this more than I just want to just throw out a bunch of knowledge on, on this. Uh, th this scripture we're going to talk about, we closed, or I stopped last time with James uh, chapter 3. I don't know, it's about verse 6 maybe. You don't have to go there, Brother Ron. It was in James uh, chapter 3 and uh, verse 9. Therefore, bless we God, even our Father. Therewith we curse we men. He's talking about the tongue. And he's closing out with it. And he said, and we are made after the similitude of God. The word similitude there means image and likeness of God. <clears throat> so from there, we... Last time I was here, I talked about landmarks and don't remove the landmarks, and I went into all of that. But now tonight, I want to get into 1 Corinthians, but we're going to start with Psalms 133. Many things in the Word of God, <clears throat> put it up there for me if you would, Brother Ron, Psalms 133 and verse 1, if you would, Psalms 133 and verse 1. Many things in the Word of God are uh, sometimes hard to understand, and uh, it's not that I'm that smart and, and you're not smart or you're smart and I'm not that we don't get it. But this is what makes the body work together is the fact that we're all trying to go to the same place and try to accomplish the same thing. This isn't, I, I said this and you've heard it repeatedly and I'm going to probably keep repeating it because I want this to be uh, impounded in people's mind. This ain't just a Pentecostal thing. This ain't a denominational thing. This is a Word of God thing. And if we keep it to the word of God, structure and organization are good and denominations. Thank God for them. But I, I've said this uh, before. Pentecost is not a denomination. They have categorized us as a denomination. We're not a denomination. We're part of something totally different. We're an experience. That when you receive the Holy Ghost and are baptized in Jesus' name and the word of God, it's an experience. Now they categorize us Pentecostal or apostolic and rightfully so, but they're categorizing us that because we have had the Pentecostal experience. When Peter stood that day, repent, be baptized every morning for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they all were filled with the Holy Ghost. It was on the day of Pentecost that all this took place. That's why they call us Pentecostal. We're called apostolic because we do the work of the apostles. We believe and teach everything that the apostles practice and teach. But there are things still in the Word of God that sometimes are very difficult to understand. You, you begin to read it. And, and some things we just kind of run right through and we don't want to read it. Because there's things in it that sometimes, and the Bible talks about this, and it happened in the day of Pentecost, they were pricked in their hearts. Conviction came. See, here's the thing about coming to church and hearing from the Word of God. I'm here for God to work on my heart. Why do I come to church? Why am I part of a church? Why am I part of a fellowship or a body of believers? Because I want to make heaven, number one. And number two, I want whatever the Word of God has or whatever the Word of God is trying to say to me. Many times... We push the blessing, but yet we don't go into what gets me to the blessing. I want to start with Psalms. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. He starts off the Psalms 
declaring such an important fact. There's got to be unity. God cares about you and I. We can disagree but still have unity. We can have a disagreement of opinion. The only thing is when it comes to the word of God, there has to be that agreement. One is going to be wrong. And that's the sad part about it. Nobody likes to be wrong, Sister Becky. I don't. I like to make sure that I've got all my ducks in a row and make sure. I, I, I tell you, I don't think I'd have made a good attorney, but boy, I sure would like to have tried. Because I like to have everything in a row like a case that when I present it, it's okay. It's a sealed tight case. And he's trying to say there's, a, there's an element of unity that you can arrive to and come to that even in the word of God, we can dwell together and see the scripture like God intends for us to. Next verse. He compares it now. He says, it's like the precious ointment upon the head. It ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts. Now he gives us the story. And he says, and he gives us the example, the symbolism. It's like an ointment. That upon the head. I want you to get these key scriptures because where I'm going tonight, uh, if, if, if we're not careful, we're going to just... Uh, hear what the scripture says and we're going to miss the purpose and the benefit and the blessing of what God wants to do. It ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard, and went down to the skirt. The picture he's trying to give, Brother Keith, is that when the anointed oil was poured over the priest Aaron, the high priest, that was his job. He was the high priest. He would go into the tabernacle. He would sprinkle blood for the atonement of the sins of all of Israel. But before he went in, before he could go into the presence of God, now watch this, you, I'm not just foddering up here. Stay with me tonight and, and, and hopefully I'll be short-winded, maybe. It's about how to come in God's presence. He's talking about, the, 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 he didn't, why didn't he pick Abraham? Why didn't he pick Job? who was the one that went through more chaos and turmoil, Sister Georgia, to me, he should be honored just because he put up with so much stuff. God didn't use him. And there's an ending to this story, but God specifically picked Aaron because Aaron was the high priest representing the people to God. But yet he could not just go in there on their nudge. There had to be preparation for Aaron to come into the presence of God. This is so contrary to a typical church service. Typical church service, and many times it's the way uh, we, we live. It's our lifestyle. It's, it's where we are. We're fast-paced. We come in from work and quickly do what we got to do, throw a little uh, lean cuisine or somebody, or a real beef roast and rice and gravy. One way or the other, you're going to eat a little something and hurry up and come into the house of God. When really the thing that you and I, not saying we do it every time, this should be the target that you and I have. God, I want to be prepared before I come in your presence. Because many times we miss what God, it's a banquet table. That's what the house of God is. When the word of God is open, it's bread, it's manna, it's, it's substance. It's what you and I need to get through the next day. And before you and I ever get here, God's got a banquet table spread out. And you hear the text and go, oh, I'm not hungry for that tonight. 
You hear the text and you say, well, now, man, why ain't he talking about? Man, don't he know I'm in a valley and I need, I, I need something to bring me up? Or, man, I need a healing tonight. Why couldn't he preach on healing? See, here's the way God works. If I will prepare, God has a way before you ever getting here to putting on the table what you need before you ever get here. If you need healing, it's already at the table. You need a miracle, it's already at the table. And the text are where you think or I think he may be going. God in a moment. That's what makes us apostolic. Not that we're disorganized and dysfunctional. I believe in order. You've heard me teach it over and over. But what I'm saying is God knows the needs of the people. That whatever that need is, if I prepare myself. But here's what happens. Many times the day is so crazy. And we're so distracted and frustrated. And had a rough day at school or a rough day at work or a rough day with life. Or better yet to those that have just gotten the Holy Ghost. You just got a rough day because it's like, man, my world is spinning. What in the world just happened? And the reason he's trying to paint Aaron is because there's preparation. But he's leading to the big punchline, Sister Peggy. He says, this is how you prepare. God starts something from the head down. But if I don't position myself and get to that place, Sister Dean, and prepare before I get there to come into his presence, I'm going to miss what God gives me. Secular Christianity and nominal or regular uh, church denomination mindsets is we just come, we occupy, we, we sit on a pew, we go through the motion, I give my tithe, I give my offering, sing three songs, God forbid you sing four, and I'm out the door. When really what God's saying is, I want you to understand. And especially now, Brother Ed, we're in the end time. And if there's ever a time I want to prepare my mind. I'm on the streets of San Francisco, Sister Katie. In my truck, company truck, working a secular job. Twenty, I mean, just going nonstop, wide open. But every moment I got, Sister Becky, I was reading, especially on Wednesday, I was reading the Word. Or I was trying to condition my mind. Because I was taught this principle a long time ago. If I'm ever going to get something from God in the house of God, it's not going to be because the preacher didn't preach it right or good or bad. Or they sang off key or they sang the wrong song. It's going to be because God's already intending from the head down to let a river of blessing and favor flow to me. But I've got to prepare myself before I ever get to the house of God I gotta free myself why do you is there anybody other than me that on Wednesday nights it's, it, Wednesday day is like the craziest day can I get three amens if it's gonna go wrong it's gonna go wrong on Wednesday if the car gonna break if the stove's gonna blow up if the microwave's gonna break for your Swanson it's gonna happen on Wednesday night why because the enemy knows if I can distract them and they don't prepare, then here's what's going to happen. The word of God's going to go forth and it's going to just do. When God's saying, Brother Langley, I got a word from God for you tonight. I got something that's going to put strength in your bones and your spirit, man. I'm going to breathe on you tonight that's going to change a situation that's been swirling around you just like that. But the preparation determines whether I'm in the right place when it begins to blow. He said, Aaron's beard, there's a reason because he had to prepare. Next verse, God says, okay, I'll tell you what. 
I'm trying to get spiritual here and I'm using Aaron. But now I'm going to make it real central. I'm going to bring in the scientists and the geologists and I'm going to bring in people. They didn't have them back then. I'm just trying to bring some of y'all in with me. He said, I'm going to use another analogy because Aaron's way beyond reach because he's a high priest. Then let's just make it real simple. On Mount Hermon, there's dew that settles on top of that mountain. And he says that dew begins to collect and it begins to come together. And as it begins to come together, it descends upon the mountain of Zion. Do you see the picture between that one and the previous one? It starts from the head down. And here's why I'm using 133. I want you to get this so deep in your spirit that everything starts with God. And where I position myself in that alignment with God is everything. It determines whether I'm blessed or I'm cursed. It determines whether I'm favored or God's a million miles away. Is there anybody here on Wednesday night that you could say, I need a little bit more favor of God. I need the blessing of God. I need my kids to be blessed. I need my home to be blessed. I need my friends to, I I need the blessing of God to be everywhere that I go. starts from the head there's an order to how God does it this example I'm using tonight is us preparing but James and Paul go even deeper into the meaning of how do you get that commanded blessing here's the close of it God commanded it when God commands something sister Claudia There's no negotiating. God says, it's done. It's this strong, Brother Fontenot. If God says you're healed today, that's his command. And there's not any spirit. There's no principality. There's no individual. There's nobody that can stop the commandment of God. Why? Because his commandment rests on his word. And his word is what set the moon and the stars in its position that they can't move. So if God commands something towards you, God cannot change it. If he changes that, then the whole solar system is going to collapse and the end of time is here. He said there's a commanded blessing for my people that I want to give them. But the key is it starts From the head down. That word unity in verse 1 means anointing. Unity with the Spirit. Unity with the Spirit. I've said this about the day of Pentecost. It says they were all in one accord. Yes, they were all in one accord. But I guarantee you in that one accord, Sister Whitney, they didn't all like green beans. They didn't all like the same food. They had the same heart. For the things of God and the things of the Spirit. And when you find a group of people that have the same heart for the things of the Spirit, there's commanded blessings that flow into that congregation, into that family, into that home. Is there anybody here today? I want the blessings of the Lord upon my life, my family. And God, whatever your word says that I need to do to align myself with the word of God, then I want to align myself in it that that blessing can be commanded. Corinthians chapter 11. 
I'm going old school tonight. I ain't got no iPad. I got a writing pad. And I have made pages upon pages upon pages of notes. And everybody said, oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. All I had was a Fig Newton bar. I'm hungry. But I do want to start this and then we can carry into uh, more uh, next week. Uh, Let's start with 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. Remember, I'm still talking about the blessings. I'm talking about divine order. But I'm talking about the head, God, and me coming in alignment. With the head. Be ye followers of me, even also I am, I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all these things and keep the ordinances. I touched on this last time, but I'm going to reiterate it again because so much time has elapsed. Paul starts out by saying, Be ye followers of me as I am a follower of Christ. He's setting the tempo from the very beginning of this by saying, I'm following what Christ has said. And I'm asking you to follow based upon the revelation that's given to me. I'm now teaching it to you. Now remember, he's coming to the church at Corinth. The backdrop of Corinth is a church of confusion. It's a church that's in chaos. It's a church that has abused the gifts of the Spirit. They have, uh, uh, marriages have been abused. There is a perversion now in the church at Corinth. Uh, gross immorality has now started coming to the church of Corinth. And Paul is coming in and beginning to set the tone, or really rather he's trying to set the record straight and bring order back to this church. The first few chapters of, of or the 11 to, through 14, these are called the gathering of the church. And what Paul was doing in chapters 11 through 14 was Paul was getting all the people together and he was fixing to give them these ordinances that were from the beginning of time. Paul starts with it and he defines or he gives them keep the ordinances as I have delivered them unto you. The word ordinance means he's going back to the oral law. Paul is connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament and saying this is not something new under the sun. This is something that goes all the way back before your existence. This is not something I'm fixing to teach you, Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. He was dealing with issues that were going on then, but he's not saying this is not just a cultural thing I'm having to deal with in Corinth. In other words, I'm not teaching you chapter 11, chapter 12, 13, and 14 because of the problem that was in Corinth. I'm teaching this because these ordinances go all the way back to the beginning, and I'm trying to bring it back to you that you're reminded of what truth is. Now, as we get into 11, I want you to pay special note to some of these key words. And that's what I said. If you're writing, write some of these things down because you're going to see it over and over. He talks about head. He talks about covering. But three things that are more probably prolific and profound than that is angels, covering, and glory. Now, I will tell you here tonight, this study and everything that I have, these pages here, are comprised of 
my study, my gleanings, but a lot of this, Brother Treese, old Brother Marvin Treese, had a handle on this. In his old commentary, you can't even get it no more. It's obsolete. It's out of print. And I've gotten a copy of all of his commentaries. Got them years gone by. But Brother Marvin Treese uh, talked a lot about this. And then Brother Stone King has pulled a lot out of this. And that's why I said saints of God and, and saints of Indian Village, you know who I'm referring to. Visitors, I know that that's, those names don't mean a whole lot to you. But I want to make sure I give credit to whom credit's due. I pulled some of this from them, listening to their teachings and things that they've had and then formulated or gotten my revelation of this, this, this ordinance that Paul is talking about. Notice angels covering in glory. Three things are mentioned. <clears throat> But they're all mentioned. It's the same things that was mentioned in the ark. If you remember the ark of the covenant, Brother Sean, what was part of the ark of the covenant? There was covering the lid. There was angels. And what else? Glory. So what Paul is is going to be dealing with here, again, he's going back to the Old Testament. And he's starting to deal with and talk about what brings the glory. What brings a covering of protection over your family. Now, I'm going to try to bring it in and make it relevant to you and I because you hear a lot today of, man, this is just another bunch of rules and regulations. It's a Pentecostal thing. It's something I got to do. Why I got to do it? Why is there covering? Why is there headship? Why does all of this stuff really matter? Let me tell you why it matters. Because it's how we approach God and come into His presence. That's what this whole chapter is about. It's talking about how I come into the presence of God that I've got to make sure that I'm covered. And the, the, the credence that Paul gives before it ever starts is, this is an ordinance. This is something that, that don't change. It's immutable. It's, 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 it's as strong as Acts 2.38. He said, but I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. And I'm going to break them down in pieces. But I'd have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. When it speaks of Christ, that's where I said this is stuff you'd want to write down to remember. Make note. Because if you go back and read this, I've read this for years. Until I begin to study and look these words up, what they mean, it's like, okay, the head is Christ of man. What does that mean, the head? Does that mean I got Jesus' head? No. He's speaking of order. He's speaking of Christ is the head of man. Go back to Psalms 133. From God, everything flows. When he uses the word Christ, he's speaking of the humanity of Christ. The the, the part of his flesh. And he's saying the man is the, Christ is the head of that. Now Ephesians picks up with this a little bit later. I didn't write them down, but you can find them or I'll get them for you after church. Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 6. And it talks about the head of every principality and Christ is the head of that. But then he also talks about uh, the the five-fold ministry and how God uh, gave gifts unto men, speaking of the five-fold ministry to the church, that when Christ ascended, the flesh was done away with and he became glorified, divine, that now it changed. And in the absence of him, God gave gifts to the church called the five-fold ministry. The purpose of the five-fold ministry or what is the five-fold ministry? It's prophet. Pastor, teacher, evangelist, apostle. God gives these offices to the church for the edifying and the building of the church. And he says the head of man is Christ. 
The head of woman is man. What's the head of Christ? God, divinity. He's not speaking of two people. He's speaking of the flesh and the spirit. And what he's trying to paint from the very beginning of this scripture, this verse, is you've got to understand the order of it because where he's about to go, it's not going to make any sense if I miss that part. That God as spirit came and robed himself in flesh and the order after that is man. After man is woman. And that's the divine order. Someone sent me, I don't remember, someone from here, I don't remember who, but they, I wish I'd have got it. I could have put it up on the board. It was an umbrella. And it was showing the structure for family. This is all having to do with the family of God. We, you know, we, we go to the quick fix for trying to fix a family. We'll go to things real quickly and just say, you know what, Brother Sean, and, and we go straight to the blessing, and rightfully so, God's going to fix this. God's going to take care of this. God's gonna, and rightfully so, He will. But the proper way for God's blessings to flow on your family and my family is me as a man, I submit to Christ. I submit to the will of God. Which, what, what does all that mean? That's the word of God. His word, God and Christ cannot be separated. They're one and the same. His word is the same. That's why he said it in the beginning. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word was made flesh. The word, the flesh, it was all one entity. So if I come under his word and submit as a husband to Christ, Brother Darrell, if I submit to the will of God in Christ, I in essence now have fulfilled the missing piece for the blessings to flow to our wife. This is why the attack has been so much against the men. Now, Timothy, Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, let me tell you what marks holiness. A man that lifts his hands without wrath and doubting. What's a man, what marks me as being under the order of Christ? I lift my hands without doubting faith and without wrath. I'm not angry, Tristan. What puts me in position under him is that I submit to his word, but that I have faith in what I'm doing. And under, You say, well, Benoit, why don't you just tell it to us? You got to see it in his word. Because his word is what does the work. Bentley, I can tell this all day long and just go through it and go through it and go through it. But until you actually put your eyes on that word and understand there's an order to it and go back to Psalms 133, what brings the blessing? There's a commanded blessing. It flows from the head all the way down. If I get under my head, there's going to be a blessing. Now here I'm going to ask a question. I can see myself already getting sidetracked. What about if I don't have a husband? Or what about if my husband don't live for God? I'm speaking to ladies here today. That does not exempt you. If your husband has passed on, then you become the head of that home. Understand? If your husband is not living for God or he's not fulfilling that duty of submitting to the will of God, God is not going to hold you hostage for his rebellion. I'm trying to give somebody hope right now. Because the attack is against these men, and, and men, I, I don't, I'm not picking on none of us. I'm, I'm one of yous. <laughs> but our minds are so under attack like never before. Why? Go back to the garden. The commandment was given to Adam, not Eve. 
But the enemy knew, I can't get to Adam, so I'm going to get to him through her. I'm not saying your wife's the enemy or she's the downfall. What I'm saying is the enemy has a way, Brother Will, of trying to get a hold of us men and get us to quit praying, quit living for God, and think, you know what, just come to church and occupy when really every time you raise your hand, Brother Will, remember the past lessons I've taught? You're declaring to God, God, you're Lord, you're mighty, and you're providing a covering now over your wife and over your kids but to a mom or or a wife here tonight your husband is not that doesn't mean that you well you know what it's just over and there's nothing going to happen that's not the case every time you come to the house of God if you'll lift your hands and say you know what God I submit to the word of God I submit to the will of God the blessings of God will still come to you I don't believe God is a merciless God that he's going to make you and I pay for somebody else's rebellion I'll come under these ordinances and that the word of God, he said there's going to be a blessing that's going to come to it. Now, let me read these statements I wrote down. I read them last time. But before I get in this, I want you to, I want you to hear this. Headship and submission does not imply superiority or inferiority. I know that when you read those scriptures, you look at it and it goes, well, the head is Christ, man is Christ, and the head of woman is man. It's like woman is now an inferior being. I don't believe that. And that's not what Paul taught. He was teaching order, but not an inferior entity to the, to the ladies. When you get into this, ladies, and I, I, please, that's what I say, y'all stay with me. Ladies have something that we don't have. And they've got a more powerful connection than us men have in the spirit. So really it's God gives men the responsibility of the leading and says, okay, you're the head to lead it. But God comes up on the backside and says, I'll tell you now what makes the crown. It's a woman that understands her order and that knows how to operate in these dimensions of the spirit she now becomes the team player and the help me to that husband to begin to work together it, that's why he said it's a help me notice where he took Eve out of the side of Adam Tristan he didn't take Eve the creation of Adam and Eve was totally different I'm going to get into this but let me just jump ahead because I can't stand punchlines I'm going to give you three of them man and woman were created different man was created in the image of God bam God says, you're a living, breathing soul. But he didn't do that for the woman. He went into Adam and he reached under Adam's side and pulled out a rib and built, made him a bride. Two different creations. Both of them specifically unique and specifically powerful. Is this making sense? I'm not, I don't want women to leave here with a hangdog attitude going, I'm the lesser one. I'm the, no, 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 no. And I don't want men to walk out of here going, well, now he gave a whole lot of credit. I ain't going to get no supper tomorrow night. And I'm going to be in trouble. There's an order. And when you take what you were created in, how God created, you're created in the image of God. She was created in the image of man. From man. You understand so it's a unique creation process 
a unique creation process. One respected in its individual right. And what makes it powerful is when you and her come together in the order. I I wish, the, the struggle I think many have is, is this somebody over you? And I think that's where this women live popped out. Because they were tired of this and this. But here's the thing. If they would have just understood, you have something that man does not have. But God just created it this way. It has to operate for the blessing to be there. These are the parts about God. You can argue it all you want. You're going to just be mad at God. (laughs) I'm sorry. And it's not that I say that arrogantly. But it's just the way God intended. He made man first. And he made woman out of that entity. There's a story that's told in, the, in, in Israel. And many of the um, rabbis and the uh, sages, actually the sages, say it like this. You probably never heard of this, Tristan, but I'm going to tell you about it anyway. The red heifer. It is a cow that God said to the children of Israel, it has to be no white hairs, totally red, totally perfect. And here's what it is, by the way, the red heifer, you kill it, you take its ashes, and you ceremonially apply it to the individual that's unclean. And the red heifer, according to God's commandment, when applied like God said to apply it, that person becomes clean. It's a sermon, a message, beautiful. I'll come back and preach about it a little later. Just take this one little lesson. But to the other person that's clean, that goes out of God's order and messes with the red heifer, If he was clean before and he touches the ashes, he becomes unclean. But to the unclean that submits to the will of God and submits to this ash and this this cow sprinkling the ashes on you, you become clean. What's the moral of the story? If I submit to the will of God and the word of God, God has a way of blessing my family and helping me do and become what I need to be. Make sense? Okay, now here's the kicker on the whole deal. The sages had the people, Megan, come to them and say, what does that mean? Why did God pick a red heifer? And the answer back was this. They call it a chalk. C-H-O-K. And here's the definition of a chalk. The sages told the people back. It is something that God asks you to do without giving you the reason why, but expects you to do it. There's things in God's word, listen, I don't always understand. And sometimes, brother, Sean, I don't even agree with maybe. But I'm not God. But if it's in that book, then I am have an obligation to fulfill it if I want my family to be clean. I want my family to be blessed. I want my home to be in right standing with God. Or I'm going to miss. There's some things you got to just say, God, I don't understand it, but I'm going to do it. There's things swirling around right now and it's, it's just a matter of well, why I got to do that? Why do, I have to, why do I have to praise? Why do I have to give in tithing? Why do I have to give in offering? Why do I have to even be faithful to church? I mean, come on, everybody knows where I'm at. I can do it hit and miss. Because God said we, we, that whole 60s movement, God forgive me, but that whole 60s movement that came in, it rocked this world. And it brought in a mindset that said, you know what, I don't have to do it the way I've always done it. I can do it any way I want. And it opened the door to rebellion. 
Come on, do I have any ex-hippies here? I've been in places preaching that, yeah, that's all they were. Brother David Shackwell. I mean, he won full-fledged hippie. And God saved him and delivered him. So Paul is trying to get them to understand this headship, there's a reason for it. And women have a blessing and an ability in the supernatural that men do not have. Next verse. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Leave that for me right there, Brother Ron. And I'm, I'm going to come to a close here in about 10 more minutes. Go hang with me. Let me read these, these last statements that I wrote, and then we're going to go to the next thought. A husband is the head of his wife in the sense that he is responsible for her. He is to protect her, provide for her, offer guidance to her. I started with the Adam and Eve thing and he pulled it out of the side. You know why, uh, Tristan, why it's out of the side? It's under his arm. My job and your job is to protect our family. Not just with Smith and Wesson. Not with a double barrel shotgun, sawed off, holding six cartridges, No. The way I protect my family is when I see things start coming against my kids, verse 4 says, I begin to pray. The greatest thing we could ever do as men is pray. Pray with a fervency and an affectionateness for our families and for our kids. I'll never, I'll, I, you say, well, Scott, you, 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 you just a, a, a wired ADD fellow on monster drink and five-hour drinks. no. I'm the most laid back. Ask her. Just kind of laid back. At home, laid back. But something in me begins to well up when I begin to see lost humanity, Brother Fontenot. When I begin to see children that the enemy would love to destroy them. When I see people that have come from such a hard life and yet God brings them out and says, you know what? I got something for you, Zach. I got something for you, Tristan. I got something for you, Brother Key. All the stuff we've been through, but yet we're still here today. Something in me begins to well up and say, you know what? That's where I get passionate about it, Tristan, because I realize I've got a responsibility, not just to this flock, but I got a responsibility to my family. So let... Let it never be said that I go up there and I just say in my upper upper room upstairs and say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I praise you. But every time I call on his name, Tristan, I'm going to pray with a fervency over our young people. I'm going to pray with a fervency over our church because there's backslidden sons. and I'm going to pray with a fervency over my family. As men, that's what we're called to do. We're not called to be apathetic. We're not called to be lethargic. We're not called to just kind of sit back and let it just take its course. But we're called to be warriors of God that are submitted to the head, which has conquered all principalities and powers and given you and I that authority if I stay submitted and fervent. Prayer. But you see, Tristan, the battle we face is we're distracted. And it don't matter. I've been living for God for 30 years. I still have distractions. But my job is to protect that family, protect this church family. Here. A wife is to allow her husband to fulfill that role. She's under your arm. See, it's hard, though, to fulfill the role when you've got a husband not doing his job. And vice versa. It's hard for a husband when you got a wife that's not wanting to 
Folks, you see the paradox we're in in this world and now everything would want to, this, just even this lesson wants to fight and distract this lesson because it knows, you know, and matter of fact, some of the mindsets is here just saying, you know what, just forget it. Just let it go, let it ride and forget about it. I don't believe that. I still believe there's men that want to pray and seek God with all their heart and there's women of God that want to fall in alignment, that want to see the blessings of God on their family and on their home. Folks, it's a commanded blessing. It's not optional. God's going to command it for you and I if we can stay in that position of order. wife is to allow it submitting to his loving sacrificial leadership that's hard when he's selfish that's hard when she's a nag don't look at either other right now don't keep hey right here straight forward <laughs> don't look to the left don't look to the right come on somebody I ain't doing no counseling tonight I'm hungry It's hard to do when she's constantly or it's hard to do when he won't fulfill his role and pray and lead his family spiritually. Folks, this is what's killing our families. How many times have I said this from this pulpit? Strong families build strong churches. Strong preachers don't build strong churches. Strong choirs and singers don't build strong churches. Strong families build strong churches. Families that realize what we have at our fingertips in prayer. When that woman understands her order and divine order and submission and the symbol by which she represents. And that man that submits to the head, the five-fold ministry. It's hard. You say, let me go back to the men. We've kind of talked about the women. It's hard to follow a man that's kind of honorary and cantankerous. You know what submission comes to you and I is? Is we submit to fivefold ministry. You know what that means? That means you and I. Hey, Pastor, what do you feel about that? I'm not asking for, for, for you to come tell me every time you, got a, you want to buy a car. What I'm saying is when there's major life decisions, here's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling to go do this, or I'm feeling to, another job, or this or that. And it's you coming and saying, I submit. To the fivefold ministry that whatever you say, ooh, it's getting tight right now. Don't make me rear back and pull that thing out. See, but as men, that's don't tell me to bless God, I wear Wrangler jeans just like you. Got a big old belt buckle. See, but we don't understand. This ain't about male ego. This ain't about machoism. This ain't about you being weak because you submit to the fivefold ministry. It's really a picture of how strong you are in faith. You understand? That you can come to a man of God that you trust, fivefold ministry. This is so hard to teach, folks. I promise you. I taught this when I was an evangelist, but it still works today. But understand my heart, Brother Bush, now. I'm not advocating some lord or dictatorship. If you leave here with that, you got the wrong mindset. What I'm trying to show us in Scripture is the head of every man is Christ, the flesh, the fivefold ministry. And what marks you having faith is you saying, I submit to that. And what marks you having faith as a woman of God is you submit to that man. 
And what marks them kids is that they submit to mama and daddy. And what brings harmony in the church. That's why there's nothing wrong with you telling kids, hey, this is what we're going to do. That's why I don't buy into these people that are saying, my kids are my best friend. You lost your mind. Because they're going to run you like a dirty dish rag. They're not best friends. You're not my best buddy. I love you and I may call you buddy, but you're my son. And I got a moral obligation to teach you in love and kindness and respect for your age. But I'm going to do everything in my power to help you and say, son, this is how we do it in the word of God. This is how we do it in the house of God. That's why it's good that you and I can teach our family and kids, hey, this is what we do. I done messed this one up. It's the word of God, folks. I'm not trying to be hard or unkind, but this is what's going to build strong families in our church. That mamas and daddies stay together, understand that mamas and daddies raise their children. And say, and I know there's no foolproof. I know we can raise kids in church and they end up going the way of the world. But here's what my here's my whole thing on that that argument that I've heard over and over is this. Don't let it be said though you didn't give it your best. If I give it my best, Brother Fontenot, I pray, I fast weekly for my kids and my family. If they go haywire, then at least I can look up and say, God, I did everything I know to do. I gave it my best. I loved them when I wanted to beat the snot out of them. I loved them and helped them and drew them in closer when I wanted to correct them and put them in time out. But I did my best. And what they do after this points up to them. But I know with a clear conscience, Brother Keith, I stayed in order. Stayed in order. So don't let the enemy come to you and I. Just as much as I've said it. I'm, I, I'm the pastor of the church. And I got a pastor. All these rebaptisms, I said it the other night. I called my pastor. And just checked myself. I know what I feel in the Holy Ghost. But I want to check myself. Multitude of counsel, there's wisdom, right? I called and said, hey, El, what do you feel? Is this okay? What, what, what's your thoughts on this? Oh, no, you're good to go. I called my other elder. I got a council of elders I submit to. One pastor, two, three men together. And I called another one. I said, hey, elder, what do you feel about this? He said, you're good to go. Here's what the scripture says. Go. See, why? I'm not on an ego trip, Brother Keith. We, we, as men, though, we get on an ego trip. We, well, my bless God. Or here's the here. Let me let me just nail this one right now. Well, my God, you just forty eight years old, fifty years old. Who am I going to listen to you? See, you think I didn't know about it? I felt your spirit a long time ago. And you know what? I don't take it personal because you know what? Well, you better pray, woman. I'm in trouble. I'm sinking. I'm sinking. Pray, Daddy, pray, Daddy, pray. Come on, where's that fervent prayer, man? I need help. I love you, Daddy. I love you. I know, Sister Bushnell. I know. Well, here's the thing. Here's what happens. People just get on an ego trip, and it's pride. And I understand it. I understand it. I get it. I know, you know, it's hard sometimes for people to, you know, do certain things. Well, y'all read between the lines and figure that one out. But I know it's hard for some. But here's the thing. God is faithful. And if I put my pride aside and I put my ego aside, Brother Keith, I had a phone call just today. A young man, young preacher called me. And he said, Brother Benoit, tell me, I need some doctrinal 
I, I need help on this. And, and tell me what's, what scripture saying about this. Musicians, y'all come quick. I'm, 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 I'm done shot. <laughs> he said, well, I, I need some help on this. And I told him kind of what I thought. And she was right there with me. And I came back and I said, you know what? He told me someone else, he had heard their teaching on it. I said, you know what? Send that to me. I, I want to learn. I, I want to hear what they had to say. My point to it is this. We never get to a point if we're really hungry for the things of God, Sister Agnes. It don't matter if it's a donkey or a chicken. Just talk to me. If God uses a donkey and a chicken to get a symbol or a sign to somebody, it don't matter. He can use a donkey, a chicken, or a benoit. Just get the message to me that I can be saved. Because that's what we're in this far. Stand with me. I'm going to read this last statement. I'm going to have to come back to this. For man having his head covered refers to his literal head. God is trying to put together. It doesn't mean that every woman with this positioning in her husband, it doesn't necessarily mean that the heart of that man or that woman is right, Brother Keith. Because even though I submit, we're still in flesh. There's going to always be struggles, Bentley. There's always going to be my flesh wanting. Listen, I've been doing this 30 years, and I still have struggles and battles that just don't go away. But here's what I remember. If I can go back and come under Him, get under Jesus, and just say, Jesus, touch my mind, touch my heart. So just, just ask God, touch my mind. Touch my heart. Touch my spirit. And if you can do that, God, I can make it through whatever it is I'm facing. To the women, you know what? Everything might not be right in life. Situations might not be going your way. But if you can remember this one thing, God is faithful. And if you and I can keep our heart in the proper position, God will do a miracle and help you and I. And the blessing that he commands will come to you and I. And there won't be anything that can stop it. If you're ready for God to just, hey God, speak to me, talk to me. I feel hunger in here tonight. Is there anybody here that's just really hungry for more of God and the presence of God and the Word of God? I want you to step out of that pew right now. And I want us to all come to the front together.